0: Well, Welcome back to Wednesday nights again. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. Um, We're excited. We have, uh, hopefully, everything's still tentative, but um, we are anticipating being back together and worshiping um, in person as a college ministry on June the 24th. So, we've only got uh, three weeks left of uh, Wednesday nights like this, and we're Definitely counting them down. We've tried to find uh, different ways to stay uh, engaging, maybe have a little bit more fun as we do this. So we hope that you're enjoying them and being challenged by the sermons that we're doing. Uh, you'll, You'll have noticed... Uh, From the social media posts and even the graphic that's on the screen now Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 16 tonight Uh, We're taking a break from Romans Uh, We'll be jumping back into Romans in the fall Um, So we're going to do a couple mini uh, sermon series through uh, the summer months So uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, we'll begin in verse uh, 13 We'll read all the way down to verse 20 Uh, This is God's word to his people Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 13 When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's go ahead and pray this evening, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, gather this way. Uh, Certainly, anticipating being back together uh, physically in a few weeks, and we while we anticipate that, we also know that your word has much to teach us. So, in the moments to come, we pray that uh, we might have ears uh, to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to believe what your word teaches us about uh, the church. And we understand that the church matters. We're probably more uh, sensitive to that now. Uh, Than we have ever been so uh, what a wonderful time we have in front of us to be able to Make sure we understand why it matters the importance of it and the value uh, That it holds for us as believers. So be with us now as we Make our way uh, through this sermon may honor and glorify you through what we say. It's in your son's name. We pray Amen So tonight we we start a a new series that looks at uh, the importance and value of the local church and we want to make sure that uh While we have spent so much time away from gathering together physically, as we have anticipated, and obviously this past Sunday, uh, we're able to gather again for worship together. And as we continue to ramp back into what we would say things were as normal, we want to take a time and and just kind of pause and, and say... Let's look at the value and the importance of church. And and we need to make sure that we have a better and clearer understanding of what the church is, especially when we think about, well, we might be more inclined to go to church because we've been uh, doing it online uh, for so long that it kind of anticipation is built up. But In the next few weeks or months or even the next year, uh, we may find that uh, anticipation that we once felt is tapered off. And so we need to have a right understanding and a clear understanding of what uh, the church looks like. And so maybe as an opening illustration to just even talk about this series, I wonder if I were to ask you um, what something is that you really value um, in your life. Uh, Maybe that's a possession or a relationship something that you hold near and dear to your heart, what your answer to that question would be. Um, If you were to go to our house um, and you were to look on our uh, bookshelves, um, there are some books that hold uh, near and dear value uh, to me, um, but wouldn't look that valuable on the outside. Um, One of those volumes is uh, a collected works of uh, stories about uh, Sherlock Holmes and that book is special to me. It's just a trade paperback. There's nothing fancy about it. It's not a special edition or anything like that. But on the inside of that uh, volume is a note written from Jess to me uh, from when we were dating. We had we had no money. We were trying to figure out uh, just inexpensive ways uh, to give each other gifts uh, for different things. And and that was a gift that she gave to me and wrote a. a, a a sweet little love note in the front of it. Um, And it probably cost all of maybe two or $3. Uh, But it's important and and it it means something important to me because of who gave it to me and um, what it kind of represents from our life. Uh, When we talk about the church, a lot of times we can get a a misunderstanding of its value and importance, but Jesus expresses to us, or Paul rather, expresses Jesus' understanding of the church in Ephesians chapter 5, going as far as to say that Jesus loved the church so much that he was willing to lay down his life for it. And so when we talk about uh, this series of Church Matters and why the church is important, uh, it's important for us to realize that when we talk about the institution of the church Specifically, Jesus valued and values the church. And so we as Christ followers should value and love and treasure and hold dear and near to our hearts what Christ does. And so, in order to do this, and and tonight we're going to kind of kick this series off by just simply defining. The church. That's our, our goal for this evening. And so we're going to look at a couple different passages and, and uh, draw our attention to some major theme- themes when we talk about uh, what is the church. And, and then we'll conclude by making some observations about what the church does. And so when we start our uh, mission to define the the local church and and defining what the church is, we first start with the correct foundation. And that's why we've come to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20 to start with. I want to draw our attention to verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of Hades Shall not prevail against it. Sometimes we are tempted and, and we will get a misguided notion that the church is the church because of what we do or um, how we operate or things that we like about the church. And in reality, the reason why we have to get the correct foundation for the church is because if our church is rooted in anything other than that proper foundation, it ultimately will fall. G- Jesus tells us this. He uses a metaphor at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the, ri- the wise man and the foolish man, and uses the illustration. Many of you sang songs, probably in children's church, about the wise men building his house upon the rock, and the foolish man building his uh, house on the sand. And, and the winds and storms of life come, and one stands and one falls. And so making sure that we get the proper foundation for what the church is, is so vitally important because if we don't get that right, as our church or churches begin to grow and expand on a false foundation, they end up faltering, failing, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes destroying themselves. Jesus says here, I say to you, verse 18, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here, what we learn from this paragraph, if we take the larger context of this paragraph, Jesus is exhorting Peter and encouraging him that he has seen rightly who Jesus is. But notice that if we understand the paragraph rightly, Jesus is saying he is going to build the church on himself. Jesus Christ is the correct and right foundation for the church there's a lot of debate that takes place around this particular passage whether or not Jesus is saying that he himself is the foundation or whether Peter is the foundation we think of Rome and Catholics will argue that Peter is the foundation the the rock upon which the church will be built and he is the first pope but that is not what Matthew 16 is actually teaching he he noted notice what Jesus is saying here in these verses he's articulating who he is and what he will do and he notes notice what he says my father who is in heaven is the one who's revealed that jesus is the christ and i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock referring to himself i will build my church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it beloved we need to make sure That regardless of where we go to church, regardless of what church we may find ourselves attending now or in the future, that the foundation and the ultimate uh, authority for that church is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because if the church is built on anything other than Jesus Christ, it will ultimately falter and fail. And a lot of times what people will look for as they look for a church to join or be a part of is far more often rooted in their likes and preferences rather than what the church is ultimately centered on. Uh, A lot of us may take for granted that a church is rooted and placed on Jesus as being the foundation. But if we're not careful, we don't pay attention to what people are saying, what they're doing, or even uh, what they're singing, uh, we'll ultimately find ourselves maybe in a church that is built far more on exalting leaders or ideas and movements that are contrary to who Jesus is. So it's vitally important then for us to understand that Jesus is the proper foundation. He's the correct foundation for the church. And I would ask us at this point, you know, we want to ask good application questions, even when we're defining things. And even when we're talking about the church, we want to stop and ask ourselves this question. Is it clear at your church that Jesus is The foundation of that church is the primary goal and function of your church. Don't take for granted that everyone who's watching this is a part of our college ministry or even a part of our church. Is your church founded and exalting Christ as its foundation? If it's not, then we would have to argue that that church is severely misguided and, and potentially you need to rethink your affiliation with them. So first, when we talk about defining the church, we want to make sure that we have the correct foundation. And then secondly, we want to make sure that we have the correct people. And so we're not going to stay in Matthew 16. We're actually going to flip over uh, right now to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the way that Paul articulates language in the way that he writes um, to the different churches, I think is important for us uh, to see. So Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, we're going to read uh, just the opening verse here. Uh, he says this Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see second, not only is it important for us to have the correct foundation, we gotta have the correct people in the church. The, the correct people make up the church. Uh, you'll hear a lot of times, and we've we've seen this a, a lot in recent days. Uh, the argument that the church is not a building, but it's a, a people. Well, the language that's being used here to refer to the church is, is the Greek term ekklesia. And, uh, traditionally that word would be used to define an assembly, a group of people, or in this case, a group of called out ones. So when we think of this term assembly, we have to ask ourselves, okay, so when we see the word church or is the author using it in the term of just the the church is merely an assembly. So every time there's an assembly of people, there is church happening there. Well, no, we wouldn't say that your eighth grade, uh, year of school every time you had your school had an assembly that that was church but sometimes we can be confused and think a term of just merely assembly is what's driving us notice though that when paul addresses churches he refers to them in different ways he refers to them here in thessalonica as being the church or the called out ones of the thessalonians um, if we were to, to flip over, um, let's go to uh, just, just to see this working its way out um, in front of us. Let's go to uh, the book of Ephesians. You don't have to turn there. I can read this for you. Ephesians chapter one, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to individual churches throughout the New Testament, there are uh, defining markers of who he's specifically talking to. And and those are are paired out for us primarily in two two primary uh, terms, church and saints. The idea being carried out that the correct people, the, the people who make up the church are called out ones, or we could say saints of God. They're the believers in Jesus Christ who are assembling together to worship Jesus Christ together. The, the idea of a, a group of people who have walked from darkness to light, gathering together to worship Jesus Christ, that is the correct people. Uh, when we talk about the correct people too, this is where we really want to slow down and say, we understand that not everybody who sits in a church service on a given Lord's Day is necessarily a Christ follower, but what constitutes that assembly or that group of called out people are the people who have covenanted together and are there to worship the Lord on that Sunday. Uh, This is why church membership matters, and and we'll talk about this in detail through this series, but we want to stop at this point and say, not only does the church need to be founded on Jesus Christ, but the church needs to be made up of people who are professing Christ followers. Uh, We believe in this concept and we refer to it as regenerate church membership. Now we go, okay, that seems technical, but this is what we're saying. When someone comes forward to become a part of a church. What makes them a part of that local church is the fact that they have identified themselves and confessed to be a Christ follower. So they've trusted in Christ, and they've followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And that's what ushers them in to membership in the local church. So if someone were to stand up in our congregation this coming Lord's Day and and walk to a place where they can make a decision and trust in Christ, So they trust in Christ. We would say the way that you become a a church member is by outwardly identifying to a group of covenanted believers that you have followed uh, and and are following the Lord uh, as the regulative governing part of your life. And so that person would be baptized and then would be voted into church membership and we'll talk about this like I said in detail but that having the correct people is so essential to the church because what ends up happening is if, if we don't sort of uh, put up that steps or those steps to becoming a member what can happen then is people can view the church as any other social organization. I pay my dues, therefore I am a member. That's not how the church operates. The church operates by identifying yourself as a Christ follower, and you do that by confessing Christ as Lord, following in a believer's baptism, and then covenanting together as a church member. And I often explain it like this. When you become a church member, two things are happening. You are expressing to that local congregation, my intention is to give you all that I am, As a follower of Jesus Christ and helping the uh, maturity and growth of all the believers here. So by my participation, I am going to be uh, giving myself to helping uh, this particular body of uh, Christ followers grow. And then you're saying my expectation from the church is that body of believers is going to help me To continue to grow. So it's a two way relationship. We're not merely attending church as sort of some sort of transactional um experience where i come you feed me i leave and maybe if i feel like it i'll give a little bit of money no we're giving ourselves to this local congregation and collectively together working to advance the gospel around our city around our state around our country and around our globe all of that is happening together as we covenant for mutual encouragement. And I don't mean encouragement in the sense of you feel better about yourself when you leave, though that certainly should happen when you're at church, but that encouragement and growth in godliness. We want to push one another to uh, grow uh, together. And so this correct people is what is allows us to, and then that gathering component of being together, uh, of making it a priority to, to be with one another. We've spent the last uh, 12 weeks, and by my count, and I could be wrong here, I'm just going off the, the cuff of what I remember, but it'll be 15 weeks roughly uh, since the last time the college ministry has gathered together as a subset ministry of our local church. And so it might feel like right now we have a lot of anticipation of going back to church or continuing to go back to church, but I would just ask us this. Do you really value gathering with other believers? Do you really value gathering together with other believers? I want to parse this very carefully. I don't merely mean, do you like gathering with your friends who also happen to attend the same local church and, and enjoying a meal together or enjoying a movie together? That's not what I'm speaking to here. While those things are certainly good, and we should have good Christian fellowship beyond the church walls, The question I'm asking us right here is, do you value gathering with other believers to worship the person and work of Jesus Christ and our triune God? If you don't, then you probably need to reevaluate what it means for you to be a Christ follower. Again, take it back to Ephesians 5, where Jesus says that he loved the church and he gave himself up for it. Paul reminds us that Jesus operated this way. It's always surprising to me the amount of people who will say I love church but then they don't make it a priority to gather with other believers to worship on a Lord's day. You know, for now roughly over 2000 years, every coming Sunday, believers all across this globe wherever that finds them have gathered together to worship the empty tomb. We don't worship the tomb in and of itself, but the, the principle that that on Easter Sunday that tomb was empty and because of that we have a, a living re- risen Savior that we worship together on the Lord's Day. I'm always surprised by the amount of people who will claim to be Christians yet don't worship together on the Lord's Day with other believers. So it's not enough just to have the, the correct um, foundation and the correct people and and it, it, it's, it takes that step further of correct people even further when we, we begin to talk about church membership. I would just ask this question, and I, I don't mean to be confrontive or um, combative when I ask these questions merely to help us trying to apply what God's Word teaches us about the local church. But do you value um, guarding church membership for those who are genuinely converted? A lot of times we, we may think, well, this is kind of the, the pastor's responsibility. This is kind of the, the, maybe if you find yourself going to a church that has elders, it's the elders' responsibility, or, or, or this is the staff's responsibility. They're the ones who are supposed to. The, each individual local church has a responsibility to guard the the health and well-being of their membership by not allowing people who are not genuinely converted to be members. Now, this becomes sticky because people will say, well, are you judging other people's conversion? No, but when people cannot articulate the gospel and we allow them to become members of the church, then if they can't articulate what saved them, how do we anticipate that they are actually genuine believers, So we need to be careful that we're not allowing people into church membership just to boost our numbers or to allow ourselves uh, to, to have bigger crowds or bigger statistics. In fact, we need to make sure that we're doing a good job of evaluating and hearing the testimony, not to check mark off a list or to grill someone like if they're sitting across the table, okay, tell us how you became saved and give us The point by point uh, play uh, that led you to this moment. No, we want to delight in their conversion. That hearing someone's testimony of coming to Christ should be a happy occasion, and we should celebrate with them as they become members of our church that they are genuinely converted. But it's up to the members, along with the pastors and staff of a church to make sure that they're guarding the body of believers and only allowing those who are genuinely converted in to church membership. So we see first, we need to have a correct foundation. And we see secondly, that we have to have a correct people. And then finally, and I want to take us uh, just for a moment as we wrap this up uh, to uh, history and say, it's also has to have the correct practices. Now in the 16th century, Or, excuse me, in the 17th century, 16th, 17th century, the Reformation takes place. And we know that this is a, a landmark moment in church history. And the issue that was at the center of the Reformation is what constitutes a legitimate church. So, if we're going to define the church, we not only need to Uh, Identify its foundation Identify who should be a part of it But we also need to identify Its practices as being definitive And so what happened with the Reformation Is you have these Reformation leaders uh, Saying and and vocalizing What constitutes a local church As being a genuine and authentic church Is two things First and foremost The right preaching of God's word and then secondly, the correct observation of the ordinances. These two things constitute a real and actual church. And so when we go and we start looking at churches and we start evaluating churches, the Western American tradition typically focuses in on preference issues, not substance issues. I don't mean to be rude when I say this, but if you think about Christians who have gone from church to church, a lot of the evaluation goes into aesthetics and music and other personal preferences. And very little thought is given to what happens in that pulpit and are they properly observing the ordinances. So let's start first and foremost. The the a church is a genuine church when the right preaching of God's word takes place. So opening God's word, exploring it together, preaching and teaching God's word as the main substantive diet of what happens in that pulpit. And I would argue the only diet of what that, ha- that the only diet of what's happening on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night in that pulpit should be the right preaching of God's word. Now it may take all different Shapes And sizes and different angles And we can talk about it certainly At length at other times But the question is Is somebody getting up in the pulpit And expounding and saying This is what God's word teaches Here it is in this particular passage Maybe walking paragraph by paragraph Through a book of the Bible Or doing what we're doing tonight Looking at multiple different passages Of scriptures and saying This is what constitutes a church So The right preaching of the word. And then secondly, the proper observation and practice of the ordinances. So two ordinances are given to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we want to evaluate those ordinances and make sure that they're happening rightly. So we're only baptizing people who have expressed uh, that they are following the Lord in believer's baptism. That means they've walked from darkness to light and we are Uh, showing that outward sign of an inward heart change. And then the Lord's Supper, the idea of the the meal that we take in remembrance of what Christ has done on a cross and making sure that we're fencing that table so that we only offer the Lord's Supper to those who are genuinely uh, converts in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a lot of different particulars that could be uh, fleshed out in both of those ordinances But at the bare minimum, those are the absolute least standards that must be held. So we have to ask ourselves, is the church faithful to preaching the word and observing the ordinances? So that should frame for us how we think about the local church and ask ourselves, am I involved in a healthy local church? And we'll we'll talk about the importance of church and what it does beyond merely just defining the church in weeks to come. But we need to at least make sure that we're a part of a church that falls in line with what God's expectation is for it. So as we come to a close tonight, just wanna encourage you to think about, number one, are you a part of a local church for the right reasons? Meaning, are you covenanting together with other members because you have genuinely trusted in Christ And are a follower of Jesus Christ and have been admitted into fellowship with a local church. And then, number two, evaluating the church that you go to. Not looking for everything. You don't need to nitpick your church to death, but we've given some basic skeletal structure of what a church should look like. And just, it's not bad every once in a while to make sure that you're a part of a church that values these things. I know I do this, and I'm so thankful when I get to, I'm encouraged by what our church does, and I evaluate, are we a good, solid, local church uh, preaching and proclaiming the gospel? founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, protecting the membership of the body, practicing the ordinances. And I can say heartily amen and yes to all of that, but it doesn't mean that I don't regularly praise God as I evaluate that we are healthy and we are moving in the right and proper direction. So I would encourage you tonight to evaluate, number one, your own spiritual condition, and then number two, to evaluate the condition of the local church with which you find yourself. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would uh, help us as we think about what it means uh, to be a part of a church and why it's important, that we not uh, just take it for granted, but that we actually press into the reality of what it is. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.